You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Interstate Batteries. Whether you need a battery for your truck or batteries for your trail cameras, Interstate Batteries has the batteries for your everyday life. Stop into a local retail location. They have thousands upon thousands of them all over the United States. Or go and visit interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. When you post hunting photos on Instagram, they get censored. When you post on Go Wild, you get virtual fist bumps from fellow hunters. When you buy gear on Amazon, you gas up a billionaire spaceship. When you buy gear on Go Wild, we donate to a camp that teaches kids to hunt, fish, and shoot. See the difference? Go Wild is a free social community built by hunters for hunters. Join today at DownloadGoWild.com, and I'll give you 10 bucks just for setting up your account. And you'll keep unlocking Go Wild rewards as you share content, because guess what? We like hunting pictures. Join at DownloadGoWild.com or in the App Store. The Southern Ground Hunting Podcast is brought to you by Spartan Forge. It's forged in combat and tailored for hunters. Spartan Forge stands at the nexus of machine learning and whitetail deer hunting to deliver truly intuitive and science-based products that save the hunter time spent scouting, planning, and executing their hunts. You can start your free 14-day trial today by visiting SpartanForge.ai and you can use the code SOUTHERNGROUND. That's all lowercase, all one word, SOUTHERNGROUND at checkout. and That'll get you 25% off of your purchase. If you're wanting to know more about saddle hunting, well, check out TetheredNation.com for all your saddle hunting needs. Tethered is for saddle hunters, by saddle hunters, and they're redefining ultralight hunting. If you'd like to support the Southern Ground Hunting Podcast, you can visit patreon.com forward slash southern ground hunting, or you can click on the link in the show notes of this podcast episode. We offer two different tiers for our patrons that offer a solid list of benefits. We'd love for you to join the Southern Ground Hunting community today. Again, that's patreon.com forward slash southern ground hunting. And now, let's get to the show. All right, on the line today, I have a new friend that I uh, that I made this weekend or this past week in Kentucky. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You're part of the camp. This is Scooter, old Scooter. Uh, What's up, everybody? Yeah, you know when hey, Cl- when Clayton told me there was a guy named Scooter going to be there, I imagined somebody different. Like, mm. I imagined like a what? older gentleman. You know, like maybe missing a few teeth. And well, uh, you could be talking about the future me for sure right now. <laughs> so, not guaranteed to keep these pearly whites for long. Yeah, that's true. So, but old Scooter's going to join the show with us here today on the Southern Ground Hunting Podcast. And we're going to talk about hunting Kentucky. So, what did you think, man? I'll tell you, I'm only- well, first, I, I think I've met a few other scooters, three in my life, and all of them have been over 50. So you were on to something. It's like so scooter's like a, a really good mechanic name. Like if you were a mechanic and you had scooter written on your like on uh-huh. your uh, uniform, that's that's who I yeah. imagine when I think scooter. I don't think like young, 27-year-old pastor from yeah. <laughs> yeah. One, well, of, my real name is Carolinas. Lawton. Lawton. Okay, yeah. so – Lawton. When you followed me on Instagram this week and it said Lawton, I was like, okay, so his birth name isn't Scooter. That's good. That's good to know. Mm -hmm. I was close. My parents were very close to giving me that birth name, but my dad moved here from England when he was seven uh, or 11. They rhyme and always get them confused. But 
Lawton's like a name he brought over from England. So my brother's Layton. This will be crazy. My brother's Layton, and his nickname is Shooter, and he actually is a mechanic who has one of those shirts that says <laughs> Shooter on the patch. <laughs> How did so, you get the name Scooter? Like, where did that, where did that even uh, come from? Long story short, I come from a family that nicknames everything. Like, our, our golf cart has a nickname. Our sheds, our buildings, yeah, everything's got a nickname. Uh, and my mom was riding her dad's Harley Davidson when she was like, you know, 13 months pregnant with me. Like it was very late in pregnancy and she should not be riding this or driving this Harley Davidson. And she was driving it up and down the driveway. And he was like, oh, yeah, that grandson will be Scooter. And boom, there you go. That's it. <laughs> so it, so it kind of is a birth name. Like kind of. Yeah. And I haven't sh- I mean, I can't shake it. I've I've been going by Lawton since I was. 25 26 is like when i've been, I've been telling everybody my name's lawton and, and then like hey you can call me scooter if you want a lot of people know me a scooter and i can't shake it people are like oh okay i'll call you scooter then it's like <laughs> all right <laughs> sounds good but but yeah man that's the that's the name i'll probably lose my teeth at some point and i will fall right in line with what my name sounds like it should be <laughs> so so scooter but tell yeah, us man. tell us a little bit about yourself anybody who doesn't know you listening um yeah well, I'm from South Carolina, born and raised here in the upstate. Uh, I'm 27. I have a wife and two boys, a four-year-old and a one-year-old. Uh, my wife, is, her name's Bethany. She's awesome. She lets me hunt a lot. She basically, she's one of the wives who gets our way of life and is like, hey, for eight months of the year, I'm excited to have you around the house here. And then for four months of the year, I'll see you later. You, you know? So she's, she's amazing. Uh, I've been a student pastor for going on nine years. So 2022, I'll celebrate nine years of doing this thing. So at New Spring Church in South Carolina, it's been a, a wild, fun ride. I uh, also on the side run a, a – I don't want to call it a bow shop because it's not really a bow shop. I, ha- I offer custom archery services on the side. So I build arrows, build bows. So I do bow builds, and I do tuning to the, the archer, like to the owner. And uh, I like to sell hats with my archery uh businesses brand on it because i'm i just am a hat guy so that's a little bit about what i do uh, you actually have a folder remember you showed us a folder on your phone in your yes. pictures that's literally hats that's it yes it's just hats <laughs> I, there, there you would think that i started this little archery shit just to sell hats and you know i'm excited about that so maybe i did <laughs> but yeah um yeah man that's a little bit about what i do i've grown up hunting my whole life my dad, this is crazy. My dad started hunting when he moved here from England because they didn't hunt there. I mean, the only thing they do is sometimes rabbit hunt. And it was just like a really, it was a thing for people that had money over in England. So he gets here and finds out anyone can hunt and you can hunt all kinds of animals and he goes wild. So quickly, my dad taught me how to hunt growing up and you know, shot my first year, shot at my first year when I was uh, six and missed it and then killed my first year when I was seven. And then it's been uphill ever since you know and downhill at times too but it feels like uh most of the time it's you know it's it's a journey that's fun well, let's yeah, talk about the let's talk about this downhill though um yeah, okay Cause Cause we I can feel, talk about that i feel like last week was a downhill right like oh, yeah. for me it was i felt like i was like climbing up this like i'm getting better at deer hunting and i'm learning more and my education is getting stronger i'm finally figuring this crap out and then i went to kentucky this week and it was like yeah 
you know it yeah. just crashed and, and actual uphills and downhills too because the elevation yeah. changes were were quite different than piedmont south carolina i'll tell you that yeah but, yeah it's it's actually pretty similar to where i hunt at home the kind of the rolling hills that they got there so that part was not as different for me you know i'm kind of used to the yeah. ups and downs of that but man i'm telling you it was a tough week of <clears throat> bow hunting um, yeah it was but i felt like you out of everybody in our group you'd never been there and yeah. you you really had I feel like in a few more days, you probably would have been able to connect and you could have connected on a buck that probably just about everybody else in camp would have shot. Um, well, that, that's the part I regret now, Parker, hundred <laughs> <laughs> percent. So uh, it was definitely a hard week though, man. I do think the time of year we went was, it was tough because if you don't know what the deer are doing and you're stepping in, this isn't like a, they're on their feet a lot chasing does and, and getting, getting wild. They were still in a, and a very much I'm bedding in a certain spot. I might feed in this certain spot. I might go check a scrape, but I don't even think they were, they didn't start hammering scrapes till, I mean, we were almost probably halfway through the trip and we were almost out of there, mm-hmm. but it was definitely hard hunting. And for me, I, I came in, I've hunted Kentucky two other times. I've hunted some private that backed up to public last year in 2020 during September 5th velvet opener and got on bucks at the very, the very end of the trip. And I got sick the day before, which really ruined that hunt, but that was hilly. And that gave me a little bit of an idea of what Kentucky's like. And then back in, it was 2018 with a a group of guys, we went to a piece of public North of where we were and not as hilly, but I'm telling you, man, it, it was, it made me realize that Kentucky hunting if you'll, if you'll learn it, I think it can be amazing and great, but stepping in fresh boots, you've never been to this spot before. It humbled me. That first, that first trip I ever took to Kentucky humbled me this past one. I think it was the help of a lot of stuff that's online now to like learn topography and to learn what deer are doing in certain terrain features and stuff. That was helpful for sure. Hearing all the podcasts that are out there on YouTube, but at the end of the day, I have to say first, I got lucky. The fact that I was able to get on deer in the first few days, like I had that nine point walk by the second day, no, the third morning that I, that we were there, that big nine came by 35 yards. And I just, I didn't feel great about the shot. I probably could have, if I was really getting, I don't know, antsy with it, I probably could have flung an arrow and maybe made a good shot, but there was just this chance that I hit a limb. So I, you know, didn't, but I think it's luck, man. I just got lucky getting on some deer to be honest but also did start to learn what was happening. I feel like just by listening to camp, but also the sign that was there, you could only read half of it. I feel like, cause it was more like, what, what did, what do I know that deer do? Well, they like thick stuff. So just find thick stuff. And I found deer, you know, so, and most of the time it wasn't around super fresh sign. So I don't know, man, I feel like you had a fun time though. You were kind of, you covered ground last week between boat and going in by land and yeah and you know there's not a whole lot of times when I go on an out-of-state trip that I feel like I didn't learn anything um everything that I learned on this trip is more mental (laughs) I know I know nothing more about the place that we hunted and what the deer were doing today than I knew the day that we got there. Like I yeah. felt so, it, it was honestly, it was disheartening for me and I probably needed it. I probably needed a, 
take a bite of the humble pie a little bit um, because I went to the same place last year and killed a great mm-hmm. buck within three days. I spent two days yeah. scouting and the third day I killed one and had, you know, encounters with two other great bucks within minutes after I shot the one. And so yeah. like, you know, for me, I thought, you know, I got this, I, I, I know this place and it's honestly very close, very similar to what I hunt back home and the big woods type stuff. No real, not, not a ton of ag around there. And so it was like, you know, I went into it with the expectation of, Oh, you know what? I've got eight days to kill a deer. Mm-hmm. I'll kill a deer, bro. I didn't even see a racked buck on this trip. Like I did not even like driving was uh, in the truck is the only time that I saw rack deer. And yeah. I saw some does and I saw a spike and I saw a bunch of long beards and that was it. Like it was just kind of like, man, I don't even know what to do. We actually, so I, I had conversations, a guy named Reese that hunts there a lot that mm-hmm. um, has been a guest on the show a couple times before Reese Johnson, people might, people might, uh, might know who, uh, I'm old, talking old about. trail cam Tuesday. Yeah. Trail cam Tuesday. Super good, good dude. Great deer hunter. Yeah. But he came into camp and was talking to us and, you know, I was kind of explaining the way that I was hunting it. And what I, from what I gathered about what people were saying, I was hunting in, in the right way. I wasn't hunting wrong. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, I was hunting thick stuff. I was working hard. I was hunting, you know, the right terrain features. And it was just a matter of time before, you know, if I could do it all season long, that I would have a run in with a great, a really good deer, you know, one of the bigger deer, not like one of the 120s that I would have been more than happy to kill. It was like one of the, one of the substantial deer that that's on that place. And the way I was describing the way I was hunting, he's like, yeah, you know, I mean, we hear this from guests all the time, guys who kill substantial deer. Um, if you're going to hunt these kind of deer, you're not going to see a lot of deer. And so mm-hmm. I, I tend to sometimes pigeon myself, pigeonhole myself in that style of hunting, especially yeah. when I go on out of state trips and I'm map scouting and I'm doing this kind of stuff and I'm trying to figure out where I'm going to have the best opportunity to kill a buck and so I don't see a lot of deer, um, yeah. but like I was explaining the places I was hunting, I actually on accident hunted in the exact spot where a couple other guys who were fairly local dudes in camp, um, in, I was like in the exact spot. I don't know if you were there when we were talking about that, but they, yeah. one of the guys the night before had four, I think he said four good bucks and then one that he was chasing that he was going after that was like a 150 that yeah uh was coming in and then a dog came and screwed up the hunt or whatever that's a long story but yeah um, and you were you were like uh i remember this you were within a hundred yards of where he was yeah. or something like that yeah didn't see yeah, a deer like the day before yeah and i yeah, did not crazy. and i did not see a deer in there and so it was kind of yeah. like it was easy to get discouraged but i was also encouraged talking to people who hunt that place who know the place I wasn't in the wrong spots. I mean, I wasn't, mm. I wasn't hunting it, hunting it the wrong way. I just, I would have been happy. Yeah. I would have been more than happy to kill a 115 and be done. You know, like that would have yeah. been like that style, you know, three and a half year old, two and a half, three and a half year old deer. I would have been yeah. happy to kill them, but I just wasn't hunting in those type of places. So I don't, 
maybe that's a cop out. Maybe that's a good excuse. And maybe the fact of the matter is I just wasn't on deer, but I just couldn't, I couldn't, I, I didn't feel like in my mind, like I had, I, if I went there, if I would have stayed two more days that I would have had any better luck. I think I saw four deer from the tree all week long yeah. in Kentucky. So it was just kind of, it was kind of tough on me, man. Like I, I struggled. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is what it is. I think the thing that I learned the most was that sometimes that's going to happen and you just got to continue. Oh, yeah. You got to continue to adapt and, um, and uh, adapt and overcome, I guess is the right, the right phrase. But yeah. I want to know for you, Scooter, you, you saw quite a few good deer on that trip. What, was there any consistency you felt like to what the bucks were doing in that area? Uh, <clears throat> I'll say there was consistency to the, I'll, I'll say young bucks. And what I'm saying is three and a half or younger. Um, now I'm not one to, I will put an arrow through a three and a half and a two and a half year old all day long. So I, it's not like I am dissing that at all, but the bucks I saw, I didn't see anything older than three and a half the whole week, but there was some, some similar things they were doing. I tried to come into this trip and this, this was a trip that I came on just me. Like I met all you guys over there. I didn't have a you know partner with me. Didn't have one of my buddies come. This was like, I'm going, I'm going to take everything that I've learned, you know, my 27 years of living and 20 years of hunting, and I'm just going to apply what I can. So someone can drop me a pen and tell me to go somewhere and I don't want to do it. I don't care. I'm going to go find it myself. Right. So what I did was I, I went in hoping to find one of two things. One was overlooked spots because where I hunt back home, heavily pressured rifle uh, during rifle season. I have a lot of other guys that hunt every single other, like every property I hunt has guys that also hunt it too. And a lot of times they're coming in with rifles, shooting whatever they want. Like, and that's fine because they, they all eat it and I have nothing against it. I'll take a rifle and fill the freezer too. But when I'm bow hunting, I, I, which I just love boating, I, I want to find the bucks that are skirting all of that pressure. And because those are normally ones that have a little bit of age to them. So I have the uh, experience of hunting overlook spots. So I knew I was going to go into this place. I'm going to go try and find some overlook spots. And then the second thing I was looking for, was I didn't want to go like absolutely crazy deep to where I'd like get so nasty and sweaty that it'd be almost terrible because of swirling winds and, you know, blowing the deer out. But I did want to get deep, like off the road. And and I tried those two things. So I came in, scouted a ton. I basically broke down with the digital mapping. So like on Onyx and everything, and I prioritized yeah, here's four areas that I think are overlooked and here's four areas that I think are deep. And I think they will have some thick terrain features that meet that'll, you know, produce some thickets, but also up high, maybe have some thickets and in between them, maybe I can find some deer. And so I took those four areas, had eight in total, went in and scouted them. And like out of those eight, two of them didn't have great sign. The other six were fantastic. So I just, that's where I think I really, I got lucky just looking at scouting, putting boots on the ground and confirming there's deer in these places and then kind of fight figuring out exactly what, what are the deer doing. But what I found the bucks were doing when I started seeing the bucks was they were definitely, uh, they were checking scrapes at night more than during the day. I did not see a lot of bucks checking scrapes during the day. And we were there 22nd through the 29th of October. So the first time I saw a buck checking a scrape in daylight was when I saw that eight point that was almost identical to the one I shot in South Carolina the week before. He was at 10 yards and he, I don't think he was going to check the scrape. He was walking through a saddle transitioning from one thick spot 
kind of came down the draw, down a little valley, came back up. He was transitioning to a different thick spot because the wind was shifting halfway through the day. And I just, I think he was changing bedding. I don't think he was cruising personally, but when he came through the saddle and I just wasn't on the right side of the saddle for where he was, I grunted at him twice and he did a huge circle around me and hit the scrape in front of me after I grunted at him. So that made me think he wasn't coming to the scrape, the scrape line I was sitting on. He came and hit the scrape after I grunted, maybe to see what I was. I don't think he was the dominant deer in that part area, part of the area either. So that was kind of, I was pretty curious about that when he came in and hit that scrape and he hit it pretty hard. So that was the first time I saw a deer hit a scrape the whole week. Only time it was at three o'clock in the afternoon, I believe was when that happened. And the rest of the time, what the bucks were doing, they were starting to cruise. It looked like, but they weren't cruising in a stupid way. Like they do in the rut. It was very much a, they were not hugging the top of the hills. They were hugging that lower third, if not halfway down the mountains and the hills, and they were downwind. They were doing a, a very cautious cruise, if you will, what I was seeing. Um, and then the does were just, they were still grouped up. I actually saw bucks grouped up too. A lot of the young bucks, so I had a spike, forky, basket eight at one of the overlook spots I was hunting. They all came down the wind to me on the lower half of the mountain I was on. And they were just all hanging out together, browsing on acorns, transitioning to another bedding area about an hour after daylight. So I saw some weird things that felt like early season for a little bit, but I also could tell that they were ramping up and getting ready to start redding, getting ready to start cruising and looking for does. But all the sign I found looked like nocturnal sign for the most part. And the stuff I sat over, like I said, only one of those scrapes got hit in daylight from what I saw. Explain, and even the guys explain that, the nocturnal nocturnal sign. Like what what about the sign made um, you think it was nocturnal? The sign that looked like it was fresh was in the open on the upper third of ridges and mountains, which makes me think. And it, and and when I say open, there's definitely thick areas around it. But if you're a deer in the middle of the day. I don't think you want to be skylined on the top of a saddle or the top of a ridge, right? I think you'd rather be hugging down closer off the ridge a little bit, halfway down in a draw in one of the fingers that are, that are coming off a ridge, right? And a lot of the sign I was finding was at the very top, or it was very close to the top at some of the higher elevation points, which, and, and in my mind, I kept thinking thermals are going uphill. So they're doing this in the middle of the day or late morning, early afternoon. But I just didn't see that as much. I saw more deer sign on the the lower elevation levels, and which made me think it's this is like nocturnal sign. It's too open up here. They're they're not going to be up here in daylight where they're skyline from predators or hunters, you know, looking at these ridges and and saddles. So that's why I call it nocturnal sign. Also, I I found this back home to be true. When you're seeing a rub line or a scrape line where it's like they're hitting every you know, they're, they're taking a 20 yard gap and hitting another scrape or making another rub. A lot of times I've found that's at night because they're just more comfortable to be laying down that much sign back to back to back at night. So I found that when I would sit a scrape or I would sit a rub where it was just a few of them that looked fresh and they weren't necessarily all clumped together or in a line, sorry, if they're clumped together, that's probably betting. But if they're in a line, I think a lot of times when they're back to back like that, they're doing that at night because they feel safer. So that's what makes me say nocturnal. Yeah. But that's all that's all observation from South Carolina. And our deer are just different. So Yeah. They're yeah. built different. 
that's, yeah, they are. That's uh, that's how I feel. I feel, you know, here in Alabama, Mississippi, Tennessee, um, Florida, like if the deer just do different things, even in the even in the terrain, like like there's not really a time here in Alabama where I think, okay, I need to be at this phase of the season. I need to mm-hmm. be in a bottom or at this phase of yeah. the season, I need to be up top. It, it, it just, I never feel like that in Kentucky, you know, a lot of times during the rut, these deer, like during the heat of the rut, a lot of the bucks are going to yeah. push these does all along the, along the tops of these ridges. Like the, yeah. uh, Clayton, Clayton bond, he's hunted there lots of years. Um, mm-hmm. even Reese, you know, Reese talking about it. Once it gets into the like heat of the rut, these deer run in the tops, like the spines of these ridges. There is not a time here in Alabama where I feel like yeah. the tops of the ridges are the best place to be at. Yeah. Almost never, like almost yeah. never do I find that deer at the very tops. Now, you know, they might be up on that upper third side hilling type thing on the leeward side of the ridge. You know, I definitely see that a lot. I see them yeah. in the thick stuff, you know, running around. If if there's a really good thicket on the top of the ridge, that might be a time when I would see them be on the top. But it doesn't, it doesn't, it almost doesn't seem like they're using that terrain as much as they're using the vegetation, mm-hmm. you know, the cover. Yeah. Whereas in Kentucky and I would imagine a lot like Ohio places like that. Definitely. I've hunted Ohio. It's definitely like this, where we were reminded me a lot of Ohio where I've okay. And did so you I, see, I think do you, you see the deer in, in Ohio do the kind of like that? Like they shift, mm-hmm. they shift where they're at on the terrain. Um, yeah. More so than they shift more so than they stick to, vegetation like here in alabama i can tell you this here in alabama these wide wide open hardwoods are like where you can't see thick anywhere in sight within a 400 yard 500 yard radius of where you're sitting at if you're sitting in the middle of the hardwoods you're probably not going to see a lot of deer like you're just there's probably see a lot of turkeys yeah you see a lot of turkeys Uh, but even does you're just not going to see a lot of deer in those wide open hardwoods even in the rut because those bucks are going to try to push those does and pin them down in those, in those thickets. Yeah. So that's what I'm always like. I'm, I'm, I use terrain a lot here, Yeah. but it's not necessarily just, just the terrain by itself. I'm using, I, I got to find these clear cuts and, you know, yeah. uh, pine, like planted pines that are just real thick understory and stuff like that. Like that's where I'm going to find these hard line transitions where I'm going to find these deer at. In Kentucky, you know, I'll, I'm going back up there here in a few days, and it's gonna be where they're running around stupid. Like that's, yeah. oh yeah, it's gonna be. It's a, probably gonna feel like a different world than what we hunted in. It will. The, the leaves are gonna be gone, and I'm telling yeah. you, man, these the deer there seem to care way more about the type of terrain that they're in than they do how how much cover they have. Mm-hmm. I mean. Because yeah. once those leaves fall, which will be this week, is if they're not already all falling down, it'll be this week, yeah. and it's just wide open. Like you can see for hundreds and hundreds of yards, and deer are running around them, you know. And uh, yeah. 
it just it seems like it changes like it uh, i know for a long time i've always said and i'm uh, you may have said this too like deer are gonna deer are gonna do deer things you know mm-hmm. regardless of where they're at they're gonna go for that security cover they want that the thick stuff and I just think yeah. it, in, in a lot of places, in these more Midwestern type places, it seems like that's not necessarily the case during the rut. But we're, yeah. when we were there, it definitely was. I think, I yeah. think the pre-rut, the that you know mid-October, that's uh, I think the vegetation, and I think that may have been my mistake going out there. Yeah, because my only other experience was during the heat of the rut last year. Right. And so yeah. I wasn't taking into account the thick cover like I should. Well, and that's that's the the part that I I'll definitely agree by saying the terrain features. So I would if I went and pulled up all of my notes and my you know waypoints and all that, there's going to be terrain features that are consistently showing deer sign. And it wasn't, you know, and and I know Clay, Clayton has hunted that a ton and gave me gave me some good advice, but a lot of it wasn't just in the saddles. <laughs> Like everybody talks about saddles like crazy from my experience, deer don't necessarily always use a saddle to cross. Like a lot of times they're going to use one side of that saddle. They're not going to go on the very top of that saddle unless that saddle is actually going to be between two other fingers. And that saddles where they're crossing, you know, perpen- perpendicular to it. Mm-hmm. Right. Not, not parallel to the saddle. So I was hunting saddles for the perpendicular travel, not for the parallel travel of a deer walking that same ridge. Cause I found if that deer is watch, walking that ridge, they're not walking the very top where that saddle is. They're going to, they're perpendicular going to cross that saddle or they're going to cross kind of that draw that has that more space in the topo. That's got a little flatter piece to it. That's where the deer were crossing. So that's where I found sign consistently. So it's like those deer know, and of course they live there same way that you and I know that certain spot in our couch where we can sit and it's like, that's my spot. It's like, that's just my body's imprinted in that spot. I love that. That's just, I'm comfortable there. The deer have that same kind of feeling in their travel routes. And, that, and I found that to be true in Kentucky. There is certain terrain features that they feel comfortable to move through. And if they weren't always the saddles is what I'll say that that was very much what I learned quickly was, all I heard in podcasts and YouTubes were hunt saddles, hunt saddles, hunt benches, hunt benches. And man, what I found was that's true. Yeah. There's definitely some deer sign in, in some of those places, but where I saw deer was in an easier transition for travel for a deer rather than, does that make sense? Rather than just like, especially the parallel to a saddle, I'd found a deer would ignore that saddle and walk the same elevation line below the saddle and then go cross a flatter point out ahead. So like he would skirt this easy transition that, you know, we think is the best in the world, which is the saddle. He'd skirt below that. He'd go around this draw and then he'd actually cross that ridge, not at the saddle, but further down where the, the draw flattened out. That's where he crossed. Cause it was a, maybe a little bit thicker, you know, maybe it was just more comfortable. I don't know, but everywhere I went that had certain spots like that, where it would flatten out a little bit, but it'd still be a transition between another ridge and, or maybe a bunch of ridges all kind of come together in this one finger was a good little piece that kind of you could wind check a few of those there was sign in every single one of those spots so i think those deer up there are very much terrain driven but when you can mix that terrain with a thicker edge with the thicket or even with what i found was just anytime there's a line of cedars it's like 
it's like the deer planted those cedars because they want to walk between them. Like yeah. there would be a line of cedars on a certain elevation line and there would be a deer trail right next to it. It's like these deer just like any sort of, of difference in the woods that can almost be like a directional pinpoint for them or can be a, a reminder of, of where they're going. It, it felt like I was picking up on that being a consistency in Kentucky of the terrain feature, there being a comfort to, to how they were traveling. And that's kind of what I kept picking up on. So I think I, I definitely agree with you. I think it's not always about the thickets. It's not always about the transitional like edge lines that we know deer love. A lot of times it's about their comfort in the, in the terrain travel. So all I know is I'd love to go back. Yeah. I'd love to go back tomorrow. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely fun. Like I feel like we should have been there the day that we left should have been the day that we were arriving. Um, yeah, because I don't know. I do love that time of year, though, because I did. And I think I told you this, but the, the last evening before we left. Um, yeah, I think this was it. But when I had the bigger buck down below me at 50 yards, he was he was down on the creek bottom. Like the big bucks were on their feet towards the end of that trip. I think I think they were they were in daylight moving like that was a substantial animal that was below me. His grunt was very deep. His body. I mean, he was big. He was every bit of 225. He made our South Carolina deer that I think are big look like yearlings. Like this was a large deer and he was on his feet. So I, I liked the time of year we were there because the pressure wasn't crazy, but it did. I mean, those deer just were not doing the ruddy stuff. Like back home, they would have been rutting hard at the end of October and Kentucky just wasn't there yet. Yeah. So, it, that's, that's more or less what I mean. I feel like we were there right before the break right before the shift and right towards the end of our trip is when, you know, people started seeing some deer. Um, right. but, but honestly, I mean, it, you look at our, look at our, how many guys, how many we have like 20, 20 to some guys. There? At one point, at one point someone was cooking for 24 people one night yeah. and that was including some of the video guys. Yeah. I mean, we had a lot of guys in camp and two non recoveries. So two deer were shot and weren't recovered yeah. but there we, we never hung a deer up all trip no nobody and it was very surprising one. yeah i mean very cause, surprising because you're in there with guys who are like the thing the thing about this camp is it's not like grandpa's deer camp you know like you don't have just a bunch of guys just going out there to yeah i, I don't know you have a bunch of very skilled deer hunters let's put it let's put it this way i ran into two of them scouting our guys yeah so yeah and these guys keep in mind i only had met a few of you guys before this like i'd, I'd known of you or met you and actually had conversations before so at that point in camp there were like 11 or 12 of us that first or second day i'm scouting and i meet bobby in the middle of the woods in a spot <laughs> that i'm scouting and he's like oh how how much have you already scouted and i'm like i don't, I don't know i've probably done a mile so far he's like oh I've done one and a half. <laughs> so, so it's like, that's the caliber of people you're hunting with. We had both been scouting over, you know, over a mile and meet each other and then share waypoints. And we're, you know, sharing what we saw and go back to camp and find out that two other guys had met each other in the woods that day too, because we're, we're all like dedicated and we're all very much, we want to go figure out the deer and then we want to get, you know, our saddles on our butts and our bows in our hands and, and get rocking. And, it was an awesome group, man, but I was very, very surprised that there wasn't a deer hung up. And those two bucks that were shot, 
the great one was a single lung for sure. And that deer, I think he made it after hearing the story, but the other deer was probably dead. Cause I think that was a liver shot, but both of those bucks were shot by guys who had done their homework and had gotten in and they made it happen. You know, it mm-hmm. was, it was really cool. And I would have expected that to happen for almost every single one of the guys there. Cause I mean, they legit hunters were in that camp Parker. I mean, it was, it was something I've, I was very excited to just sit around and see what was happening. Cause it was, it was encouraging for me. Cause it's like, man, this, this way of life that we've got going, is not dying anytime soon. Cause all of these guys around here have families and they're teaching their kids and they're going to teach their kids woodsmanship, not mm-hmm. just, you know, pour corn and hunt this spot, you know, nothing against corn, but <laughs> you know, it, it made me, it made me excited. It also made me very surprised that there was not a dead bug in that front yard at yeah. one point. Yeah, it was, so. It was rough last year. I think we had four or five. Um, mm-hmm. Year before that, but I'm, every year y'all gone has been during the rut, though, right? Yeah. So last year was my first time going with this with this group, um, and I shot my buck on November the eleventh. So okay. Um, I want to say yeah. years before it it was about the same. Yeah, it would have been about the same. Yeah. They were there during when it was like that first week or two of November and yeah and it's always been I mean last year on the group text it was just like it was nuts man like people like I just like heard buck a buck after buck after buck yeah I just heard a buck roar you know like bucks are like multiple people heard roaring you know and it's just like deer acting like you see on tv you know you're hunting those type yeah. of deer and the rut's crazy you know bucks are running around oh everywhere. yeah it just wasn't that well, way also- this year I also had the dinner every night with eat with everybody, and I'm I'm not convinced the buck roar comes from a buck right now after the chili and the oh and the, all the food that we eat at dinner. They were they I were like even... trying to get us to fail. I think I think I think oh, camp yeah. was like it's like what what was it? One night we had chili. One night we had low country boil. Another jambalaya. night we had jambalaya. It was like all this yeah. like super spicy stuff, you know? And oh yeah. It was, I mean, it, it's such a, it's a fun camp. It's way, it, it, it is more fun whenever guys are killing deer and, you know, every yeah. night isn't like, well, didn't, didn't see much, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. I was, I was crushed though, man. Like um, mentally, like I was mm-hmm. just like, I, I don't, I don't know any, and people who are listening, who have listened to me talk before know that that's a, it's kind of a surprise probably because normally I'm, if I don't kill something, I, I normally had, would feel like, you know, I almost got it figured out. Uh, you know, I, yeah. I, if I had a few more days or something like that, this trip, I mean, I'm just brutally honest. Well, it also, it ended rough for us, man. That, that rain, those two days of rain, the winds were, sw- I mean, the wind on Thursday hit every direction at most. Yeah. And then between, between Thursday and Friday, it was like, I mean, you were going to get soaking wet if you went and your winds were super swirly. So it just, it kind of just put a, a damper on the ending there. So, Literally damp. Yeah. It was damp. Yeah. I, yeah. I think that day, so I say I only saw that many deer from the tree. Uh, almost every hunt, the winds were so bad. I mean, swirling like crazy. And I think a lot of it had to do with the fact that the deer were in the bottoms and so we were hunting in the bottoms a lot of time and mm-hmm. a lot of times in those bottoms that wind especially when there's still leaves on the trees 
the wind just swirls. Yeah. You know, it's it's deflecting off of stuff and it's swirling around. I think every hunt I got busted by deer. Oh yeah. Without ever even seeing them. I would just hear a blow. And one hunt, yeah, there was a deer coming directly to a scrape that I was sitting on. And I I know there's I don't I don't know that there's like a scientific like if this is proven scientifically, I know when I've seen bigger bucks or just bucks in general, you know, two and a half, three and a half, four and a half year old bucks, when I've been busted by those type of deer, either one they don't blow, or two they blow yeah. once and they're gone. It's like, yeah, and they're gone. And yeah. this one, this one specific night, it was it just it was when me and Bobby went out with the boat and. Mm-hmm. Man, I just knew I was in the right spot, but the yep. winds just never acted right. You know, it was all swirly all night long. I never could get anything consistent. And right there, 30 minutes before dark, I hear that whew, coming right to that scrape. Um, yeah. In an area was it pretty deep? See. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was not, it, 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 it was not like a, a yearling doe or a fawn. Yeah, or like most yeah, so was, most does. That was a good dog, probably. Um, and, and you know, there's no way of telling if it was a good deer, but it was probably a buck. And then the day that I was, uh, the day that I was in that spot where the guys had seen the bucks before, I actually had three different deer within about an hour time frame blow at me from in front of me, and I had the wind in my face. It, it actually felt like the wind was right every time I would drop mm-hmm. milkweed. It was. Right, and somehow these deer, probably seventy or eighty yards out, um, blew. I mean, they just blew and ran off, and I, I couldn't figure out why. I don't know. I still don't know why. I, I don't yeah. think they saw me. You know, it was pretty thick cover in there, and I don't know. I mean, it was just one of those like when you felt like you were in the right spot, and apparently you were in the right spot, and you just get busted. <laughs> that's how it felt yeah. every time I was yeah. and then I went I hunted one spot that I felt like was probably the best area that I hunted but it took me two and a half hours to walk 0.8 miles from the boat because yeah. it was so thick oh yeah this was the part where you said it it was like walking through just bamboo or something like Dude, it was so thick it was dumb <laughs> it was like yeah I, I found my limit right so yeah uh I, I, I tend to try to work pretty hard to kill deer. You know, I'll work, I'll work hard and I'll get up early. I'll get in the boat in the dark do, you know, I'll work hard. I'll go through a lot of mental torment to try to kill deer. And this spot was kind of my breaking point. I think, uh, walking in there that morning, it was like, Oh, it's, you know, 0.8 miles from the boat. That's not going to be that bad. I get to walk in and I make it like a hundred yards through this thing. And I was like, good Lord, this is yeah. rough. And then I go to climb the ridge. That was just in the bottom. I go to climb the top. I was like, okay, usually on the spines of these ridges, it clears up and, mm-hmm. and you can at least have a somewhat of a trail to walk down. No, nah. <laughs> it was worse. No, not that one. I sounded like a freaking, was it- a freaking moose. Running, was it a through Alaska. super, uh, was it a super grown up logging road or was there none? There was none. There was no road. Oh geez. There was no oh, road. Geez. Um, there was a deer trail. Yeah. Um, oh, there I'm was sure. Tons of deer sign on it. I mean, I know there were deer in it. And then I finally got to this point where several of these ridges came together and it 
was pretty clear in there, and dude, it looked awesome. I mean, so like between a bunch of bedding for yes. different wind directions, probably. Yes, yeah. and and the all the ridges there were so steep, I couldn't really see deer in thick. I couldn't really see deer side hilling them much. So, and you could mm-hmm. tell the what the trails were so beat down, you could tell the way that the deer were traveling through in this area was. I mean, that's what they were doing. They were using those, mm-hmm. the top, they were actually using the tops to travel because it was just, mm-hmm. I would have thought it would be virtually impossible for a deer to travel quietly and comfortably on the sides of these hills right here. Yeah. And so, yeah. and once you get up to the top where all these ridges meet, it was like, you'd have trees torn down over here, just mangled up from being rubbed. Uh, there were yeah. scrapes everywhere. I mean, it was a good spot. It was the best spot that I found. But when I got back to the boat, I had to walk out of that in the daylight, you know, later that morning. Cause, and I'll be honest, like I, people can say what they want, call me a wimp, but I wasn't about to do that walk again in the dark. Like, yeah. I just didn't want to. And yeah, like I told my dad, I was talking to him on the phone later that day. And I was like, you know, Somebody could tell me there was a 160 in here living here in daylight. And I don't know that I'd do that again. It was just, yeah. it, it kind of was my, it, it was kind of my break. I think that I got, yeah. um, so I learned that <laughs> I learned that yeah. a mile walk through a thicket is not something that I care to do. Um, not something you want. And, and it, it wasn't like, like I'll walk that far a lot of times. Like, um, I'm trying to think like, taller grass or something like this was like you could not walk through it without being loud this was that this was that high stem count bunch of saplings bunch of yeah yeah i ran into a lot of it and i loved it but most of the time i try and find a logging road or so the other thing that i did that i think helped me was a lot of times i would access and do huge j hooks to places i wanted to go Mm-hmm. Um, and so one of those things that I, I did this twice, the time that I had the eight point running the or rubbing, sorry, hitting the scrape in front of me at 10 yards, the way, the way that I got to that kind of ridge edge that I was sitting right on the edge of that saddle where it meets a flatter finger. I was kind of like, it was two places. I was like, a deer's going to come through. This is like two terrain features plus scrapes and rubs. Plus I think some bedding's right there. So I knew if, if I just walked down this ridge top, which is the easiest to get to this, I'm very much just potentially going to be seen by deer, potentially going to bump off bed. And then I definitely will have like, I'll have like the, um, I'm trying to think the thermals and the wind are going to do all these different things that are just unexpected. And I can't control what I could control is the bottom is going to have consistent thermals, and it's not going to be super thick to where I can't walk through it, but it's going to be enough cover that I'm only going to sacrifice one side of the ridge if a deer is bedded. So a lot of times I'd come down on the creek bottoms and then I would slowly work my way up the ridge to where I, where I'd want to hunt. And I did that. So three different times that week, two of those three times saw deer had them within 50 yards. And I think that helped me a lot was doing a little different access yeah. to get into that. And Thankfully, I didn't go through stuff as bad as you did, and I definitely didn't go through it for 0.8 miles. But you know, it'd have a few. You know, every 50 yards or so, it feels like it'd get thicker, and then you know, just kind of meander through it. I definitely had my face to the onyx on the way out at night, just to just to make sure I didn't get turned around. Because yeah. dude, I got turned I got turned around once, and Clayton called me. He's like, "You alive?" I was like, 
yeah, I just got turned around in a bottom and walked up the wrong ridge for half a mile and I had to turn around and come back. And so, but I think that was one thing that helped was the way that I accessed. And that was one, that's one thing I do back home. Another thing that I, I, I'll mention that I did that I think I learned this was like, it was counterintuitive, but for instance, if a North wind was going to be good for the deer, but bad for me, I would walk in from the North, letting my scent blow down toward them but I would do it just off a little bit. So that last night where the big buck was down below me at 50 yards, what I did on that hunt was I went to a spot and I just kind of sat there, looked at it. I didn't even climb the tree because I had this gut feeling. I'm like, I'm not excited about this spot. I don't know if I, I don't know if you're going to be moving through here. I'm going to keep moving until I find something I'm excited about. So I looked at the map and South of me looked like some good terrain features meeting, but also, according to the to the satellite it looked like some edges were in there and maybe some pines were kind of mixed in so what i saw was the wind coming from the north going down to it what i did was i walked toward it a little bit and then skirted off about i don't know three quarters of a mile about half probably half a mile wasn't that far but half a mile from where i wanted to end up going and then i did a big circle to then go downwind of where the deer would be would be at and then it kind of slowly worked my way back with the wind in my face from the south toward the north to where I wanted to go. And that's whenever I saw the most deer was when I did like, it was only, I think to the closest road, it was only 500 yards to the closest road, but nobody was parking there. Nobody was parking on the fields that I had passed. And I knew like these deer are probably expecting hunters to come from this place and this place. And I just did a huge circle with the wind, not in a good spot for, I don't know, 25% of my walk. Yeah, and then you know, hooked back around, and I saw a ton of deer. So there was a there was some validity to that that I think I learned and was like, hey, that's not a bad strategy to put in to put in the the tool belt for the future of like, hey, even if the wind isn't great for access, just work your butt off and access it completely differently. You know, go around your elbow to get to your butt or whatever the the saying is. You know, and never heard that must be a that South was something Carolina, I learned. South Carolina thing. I never heard that one. It. It probably is, dude. We've got so many sayings down here that are embarrassing and we say them all the time because it makes sense to us for some reason. You say it to somebody, you say it to somebody in the West or in the North or even in Asheville, North Carolina, you know, and they're, they're going to look at you like, you're an idiot. And it's like, I, yeah, I am. You know what? Whatever. Let's move on. Around, what in, was it going you around know. your elbow to get to your butt? Is that what you said? I'm, yeah. I'm pretty sure that's a saying around here. I don't know, man. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, man. That's a, that's a weird one. Sounds kind of gay to me, but you know, whatever. (laughs) Um, Anyways, that was something I learned that was, I mean, I'm going to try that back home more is, is going in on going in when the wind isn't right for me, but it's right for the deer and just going the extra mile, sometimes literally to make the wind work for me at some point, but accept it for a little bit until I can get to a spot where I'm, I'm positioned better. So I'm I'm looking up right now on Google this this phrase. I bet it's going I bet it's going around your butt to get to your elbow. Is that what it is? Did I say it backwards? I I think so. Does Google say it's a saying? Going around your butt to get to your elbow. 
So yeah, I said it backwards. So, so this but still, is the, it, this it is still the, doesn't make sense. This is the example. Lord, this darn GPS has us going around our butt to get to our elbow just to get to the darn Walmart. <laughs> yep, that's uh, that's Uncle Jimmy right there. He he coined that example. Uncle Scooter. Yeah, I said it backwards though. <laughs> I said going around your elbow to get to your butt. Well, I mean, that makes just as much sense as the other one. So yeah, it makes zero. You're right. There, um, there so that's going to be the title of this podcast. <laughs> going around <laughs> your butt to get to your elbow with Scooter Barnwell. There you go. That's awesome. All that's, right. So let's talk yeah. about food. Um, not our food, but the let's deer food. What did you feel like uh, Big Woods pre, I guess you call it pre-rut, um, but yep. Big Woods pre-rut deer, did you feel like there was like food really took yeah. it? Like, uh, here, here's what I'll say, man. The mass crop this year, at least where we were, was phenomenal, I think. Uh, I think deer did not have to go far at all to find nutrition. Um, white oaks were dropping still like crazy i mean i was tripping on white oaks at one point going down a logging road they had stacked up so much from a couple of and i found it was the the white oaks that were about basketball diameter to maybe a little bit bigger than that like the young ones weren't producing very much the old white oaks weren't producing much but like that basketball size white oak especially lower to mid uh hillside were dropping like crazy Red oaks were dropping also like crazy. Greenbrier was hammered in some spots, but I just don't feel like they were eating it as much as I see them eat it back home. I feel like they eat Greenbrier back in South Carolina a lot more than Kentucky. I did not see, but the thing was, we did have some fields planted. Um, you know, like I, I'm sure the soybeans were absolutely hammered in early season, but they weren't hitting soybeans anymore. They're all no, dried up. I, I walked through a soybean field and there was like two tracks on the whole yeah. thing no just the only it. stuff i found in the soybean fields were like nocturnal scrapes at night you know like. yeah and then um the other thing that i found they were eating that was pretty they, they were eating certain i know there was browse obviously there's going to be certain greenery and and certain saplings they'll eat the leaves off of but there were uh, i don't i don't think it was a maple leaf i don't but there were like fresh leaves that were falling that i saw multiple does eating like leaves were falling from trees and does were, I mean, they, I saw these does and they were, they were about 50 yards off. So, I mean, I had my binos up looking at them. I don't think it was a maple leaf, but it looked like one, but they were eating leaves that were freshly dropping off trees. And it was, it was pretty, uh, it was just different. And I, I would really like to know what that was, but the food that I was observing was that they were hammering acorns and they didn't have to go far. It was almost like there wasn't a feed tree, you know, like these guys have, Richard fought and all these guys and even some guys in camp kept talking about finding a feed tree, finding a persimmon tree. And a few guys did. And, you know, there were some deer sign underneath a couple of persimmon trees. Some of the guys found, but mm -hmm. I found buck poop one time the entire trip last week. Yeah. And it, and there was no deer droppings to be found on any of these oaks that I was, that I was walking around. Now, maybe I just didn't find the feed tree, but, I put like, I'm a, I think I put 30 miles on my boots last week. So I am, I mean, I was averaging almost six miles a day and I did not find one of those hammered droppings everywhere, you know, on acorns feed trees. So 
I think there was food everywhere. The mouse crap is great. Um, and that's why I stopped hunting food and I started hunting more of the, the terrain with a little bit of mixture of scrapes just with the time of year we were there. But yeah, man, I, and I also didn't see them in fields at night very much. I saw them transitioning in places like crossing the road or maybe like crossing the field, but they're except for the fresh cut cornfield that was real close to the road. That's the only place I saw deer with their heads down feeding like in the morning or at night whenever we were yeah. going in or heading out. So I, I think I tended, it was all about the mass crop. I tended to see, I saw a lot of deer. Um, I saw a lot of deer in those cut cornfields. Um, mm-hmm. One evening, specifically one evening, I saw uh, probably like 20 deer you know, and it was, oh, yeah. it was one of the days that I scouted all day and, uh, I just decided to go back to camp 30 minutes earlier mm-hmm. and, you know, not sit till dark. And there were tons of deer in these, in these yeah. cornfields, which they were just cut like the day before yeah, we they got were, there. They were cutting them. And even I'm sitting there the first morning, kind of doing an observation sit. And there was a guy cutting corn down below me. Like I was on the top of the ridge, but he was way down below me cutting corn. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it was definitely fresh cuts for sure, but yeah. So you know the deer were yeah. in there, and that they were. I mean, there was all there's tons of tracks and stuff around the cornfields, and honestly, that came up to me. Um, like we always say, you know, especially in these type of podcasts, talking more public land strategies, and you know, go with deep or hunting the overlooked spots. I almost feel as though some of these fields with the amount of content that's out there. So there's no doubt when you watch TV, watch private land hunters, Mm -hmm. a lot of times they're hunting field edges, cut corn, you know, soybeans, whatever. They hunt these field edges and it produces deer, you know, deer like Mm -hmm. those type of areas. But we always say like, oh, the fields are going to get pounded on these big public Mm -hmm. land areas. Dude, I didn't see a truck parked on one of these cornfields not one time. Not one oh, time. I saw one. The whole time we were there. So it's like you got this like golden area that if it's not getting pressured, it should mm-hmm. hold deer. I mean, they want to eat that what what's in those fields. It should be yeah. holding deer. Never once saw a person <laughs> hunting it. The only no. person. I only saw one truck. And I think it was mine, right? Yeah, if you were on that first cornfield, uh, the day I got there, yeah, it was I the day, drove it, through the fields. It was the day I got there, yeah. and I wasn't actually, I wasn't hunting. I just that was the easiest way to get to the area that I wanted. I, I that's where like scouting. So it, yeah, so then I saw zero trucks hunting fields that yeah. whole week. Yeah, because I so definitely that's, that just tells you something, man. That tells you something right there. Like everyone is. <laughs> An overlooked spot now might be the field edge on public. (laughs) (laughs) That's weird, right? So who would have thought, you know, not anymore. I mean, I don't know how many people listen to your podcast, but. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Everybody's going to be flooding to the fields. (laughs) Yeah. This is all to part of the strategy is like, we got to make, make hunting fields great again. Like that's what we got to do. um, So that we can have our places back (laughs) that aren't on fields. Yeah. Uh, we need to do a campaign uh, tell all the podcasters and all the YouTubers, Hey, for the next year, talk about field edges again and just make them, make them like the Holy grail and talk about nothing else. And 
so we can all get back to great hunting. (laughs) Yeah, there's too many people hunting three miles deep now. We got to get people back. Just rain it in, guys. I know, for real. I mean, and and there were so many people wearing saddles. You know, like everybody we saw except for, I mean, I saw two guys that had, one had a lock on that he was carrying around. Another guy had a climber. But everyone else I saw that wasn't with our crew also had saddles like our crew. So I was like, man, everybody's probably not scared to go as deep as they used to. So that's why I went to the two spots that I considered overlooked that I actually went and hunted were like mega overlooked. Like I thought, I thought I was going to get in trouble for where I was parking because I was so <laughs> close to, to, you know, anyways. Yeah, <laughs> so. to, to where you shouldn't hunt. Yeah. And, and yeah, the biggest yeah, like, bug that I saw and I wanted to go and hunt him. I really did. Uh, and I didn't. I still don't know why. I woke up and it's we, okay, man. It, it was just a rough week. We had to get week. out of the house. So here was the reason we had to get out of the house by 11 and I had nothing packed. And so when I woke up at four, I was like, I've got to pack and yeah. load everything up and do all this stuff before I even go hunt. And it's raining. Mm. And the rain was yeah. like the, the period at the end of it. It was kind of like, nah. And then, then you know, Chad had to make breakfast. Yeah. So I was just like, you know what? I'm just going to lick my wounds. <laughs> you know, and I yeah. should have went and hunted that deer. He was in such a predictable spot that was like. Yeah. Yeah. I can't explain it too much, but. No, you'd give it away. And we were we were not far from each other with, with, with that sighting. Yes. And he was. Which that wasn't the deer I saw, though. That wasn't the nine that, that I had come by me. He was no but, doubt one of the biggest deer i've ever seen yeah on the hoof, no doubt like he was he was large and in charge and he was living right next to the highway <laughs> like oh yeah of course he was that's what they did back home that's why i immediately jumped in and looked at those highways and uh, found out when you can't hunt the medians i was like dang it yeah it was it was I, a, I do think I was just going to say, I do think that I think the cornfields got hit more than any other field. I don't think the green fields, even that they called them, they were, I think they were freshly planted winter wheat, which probably are getting hammered right now, but they weren't all in them yet. Uh, and the mass crop was insane. So I just think everywhere they walked, they could stop every 10 yards and find an acorn somewhere. So they could, yeah. it makes it, it makes it difficult, man. I mean, you would think like, good acorn years are like oh that's awesome there gonna be deer everywhere no man Mm -hmm. (laughs) they're not it's it's better on a bad mast year that like you can find those specific areas and those specific trees you know it might take you a little bit of time but you can figure them out so i was just curious on your thoughts on the on the food situation i think overall um the whole camp was left we were all kind of left licking our wounds and when we left, it was just kind of like, uh, well, yeah, good hunt, I guess, guys. See you, yeah. see you later. You know, <laughs> I was, I was sitting there like, guys, I'd love for y'all to invite me back on this because I feel like if I could come back, I, I think I could get it done. At least I'd shoot one of the one fifteen, one twenties that I had passed <laughs> and and learn my lesson. Yeah, you know, you know I mean, this conversation could have gone a lot differently had you shot that buck that was at ten yards. 10 yards. Um, yeah. If you look at my Instagram, I mean, identical, a little bit wider and not as thick as the deer I shot in South Carolina. Identical. His, I mean, 
had almost perfect symmetrical tines and his G2s and G3s were almost the same length. It was a really pretty eight point. I just was like, man, I think you're two and a half. And I really want to kill a 10 point, man. I just wanted to kill a 10 point in Kentucky. So, well, I don't know. I learned my lesson. There. I had fun. I don't regret it. But if, if that deer came back through this week, I'd shoot it just for the memory and for the, I love deer meat too, man. I am, I mean, the meal that me and Croft made was deer roast from some of our, our deer last year. And I just, that's my favorite part of deer hunting is I have a story behind the meals we prepare. So there was a piece of me driving back home, like, who are you? caring about <laughs> shooting a 10 point you know just shoot a buck on public land you had a chance definitely at one you probably could have made it happen on the other and you're driving back with an empty yeti and good memories but i an expensive tag for no meat in my, in my cooler driving back home man i'm telling you so, i am going back for three days here and i'm gonna send you all my waypoints. i know where i'm going <laughs> I know. Then, okay, I, won't. I, I mean, I, I may just, I may just go and perch up and do three all day sits right in a row in the same spot. Cause yeah. I know at some point there's going to be, you're going next week, next Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Yeah. I think I I've got a, I've got a, a trip to Pennsylvania with Spartan forge that I have to be at on Thursday, I believe. So okay. when I get there on Thursday, when I, I'll hunt three days in Kentucky and then go up to Pennsylvania. Yeah. So, yeah, it, I mean, it's, you're, you're going at a great time. I mean, you're looking at the ninth, 10th and 11th, something like that. Yeah. yeah. And you killed on the 11th last year. So you yeah. should, your confidence should be, I'd be, I'd be excited. If I was well, you, I know the deer, sure. I know what the deer are going to be doing at that time of the season. I hope, you know, yeah. um, but it's all, it really all is all in the hands of a hot doe. Like, mm-hmm. It, that's kind of I had a that's true I, I had one of my customers one of the the guys who I, I do I work on his boat for him he sent me a picture of his either brother or friend who's on the Tennessee side but he's kind of close to where we were uh, but he's on public land in Tennessee and I mean killed a, a good deer it wasn't like a 150 or 160 but yeah. killed like the 10 the 10 that I was waiting on like <laughs> I'm, I'm working on this guy's bow this morning and he shows me this picture of his of his brother's buck, and it is the ten point that I was like dreaming of killing <laughs> the whole time. And I'm like, "Dang it, man! I'm telling you, five one or two more days." But well, so they're moving, man. They're it's they're gonna on be their good. feet. You're gonna, oh yeah, it's gonna be good. Yeah, Dude, you're gonna have a fun. So time. do you do uh, do you do custom bow work for people like abroad, like away from? I can. I I yeah and i got a buddy who lives in bozeman montana he uh sent me his last bow and he actually had matthew send it to me which was pretty awesome and then i got it set up and what i can do so i don't i don't offer brand new bows i'm not a like licensed retailer like a dealer with prime or matthews or anybody except for lancaster and, and a few other distributors where i can get like bear um and darton and bows like that brand new but what i normally do is you just bring me your bow and I'll, I'll set it up or take what you've got and I'll tune it to you. I'll restring it. I'll build you some arrows for what you want to do. A lot of times it's, you know, kind of the ranch fairy specials um, because everybody's wanting to try the heavy arrows these days. So I'll do all of that stuff. And I have had guys ship me, you know, their bow. And the only problem with that is I can't tune it to you. And that's one of the things I really like to do is to tune to the owner. Because if I've got it shooting, you know, a bear shaft bullet hole at seven yards in my shop, 
that's great for how I shoot your bow. But if Parker, if you shoot it different, if your grip's slightly different than mine, it's most likely going to shoot a different tear for you. So for the out of state or guys that ship stuff in, I basically tell them like, Hey, send me a picture of how you shoot. Send me a video of how you shoot. I try to mimic how they shoot as best as possible, but I can't give them the kind of, Hey, you're leaving my shop and you can shoot your broadheads at 50 yards kind of guarantee thing, you know, but I do it. I definitely do it. And I'm, I got a guy in Salt Lake City that he's actually my designer who designed my, no offense, because, you know, I think you could have designed my brand and done a great job too, Parker, but, <laughs> but he, uh, he's a buddy of mine and he sent me, he brought down a bow and I'm sending it back actually getting a restrung and basically rigging it for him and sending it back. It won't be tuned to him, but it'll be as close as possible with how I know he shoots. So long story short, I do the best I can with that. Um, and I definitely can, but what I like to do is make sure it's tuned to the owner. Sure. Yeah. So, so you guys check yeah. out, uh, precision archery. Is that right? Bow hunt, better precision or? archery outfitting. Yep. So my tagline is outfitting you to bow hunt better. So I, I do, my goal is to help you bow hunt more efficiently, you know? So the, the name is precision archery outfitting. Uh, and then that was such a long name that I, I found out that bow hunt better was available on Instagram and that goes with my tagline really well. So bow hunt better is my tag and, that's going to be all my social media tags, but uh, the name of my business is Precision Archery Outfitting. Well, there you go. So, well, Scooter. Yeah, man. Good talking to you, and uh, hopefully we can deer hunt another time. Maybe we can deer Dude, hunt. Dude, let's better. do it. We need to deer hey, hunt better next let's, time. <laughs> yes, you need. We need to get you to come to South Carolina, and then I'll come to Alabama. You put me uh, on a put me on a on a box eight, and I will tear bro, up. I'll, I'll, <laughs> I had my, I had a, there's a buck at my family farm right now, just a, I mean, a couple acres down the road from here and a good 120 inch nine point walk past the other day. I mean, a good deer for South Carolina. And I think I'm going to go there in the morning. So <laughs> I can put you on something like that. Go shoot him. Yeah. I'm going to do my best, man. Well, good luck next week, dude. All right, dude. I appreciate it. Thank you all so much for listening to this week's episode of the Southern ground hunting podcast. As always, a big shout out to all of our partners. That's Go Wild, Spartan Forge, Tethered, New Canoe, and Scree Gear. You can keep up with Southern Ground Hunting by following us on Facebook and Instagram, or you can subscribe to us on the YouTube channel. Make sure you check out southerngroundhunting.com to pick up some of our merch, hats, t-shirts, stickers, stuff like that. I truly hope you enjoyed this week's episode, and we'll see you here again next week. Remember this, God gave you dominion over the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, and the beasts of the earth. So go out and exercise that dominion. We'll talk to you next time.